Uh, okay, so we got our Bibles out um, or our phones out or it will magically pop on the screen. Uh, we are in the book of Philippians for just one sermon here. Um, so we, this is, you know, we, we're kind of popping in here. Um, we'll pop back out for Palm Sunday next week. But uh, as an Anglican church, uh, the scriptures that we read every Sunday are scriptures that come to us through a three-year Bible reading plan. Uh, so we don't kind of look through here and we're like, oh, this is what we want to talk about this week. Sometimes we'll, you know, take a break from the lectionary, as it's called, the Bible reading plan. Um, but we love to really lean into allowing the scriptures to come to us, uh, to where we can see what's uh, kind of in, on the docket for this week. And we say, all right, what's, which one of these four do we want to preach on? Uh, and this one just really popped out uh, to me, uh, as well as to Anna, who's teaching our kids uh, the same passage at the same time. So I'm going to read this passage, and I'm going to pray, and then I'll dive into this text, uh, and we can look at it together. Uh, this is Philippians 3, verses 7 through 16. It's the, the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Philippi. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Amen? I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of His resurrection and participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. And so somehow... And that's the mystery of it all. Somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that, which, of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you will think differently, that, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we are so thankful for your word. We're thankful for an opportunity again on a Sunday morning to sit together as brothers and sisters in Christ, as, as fellow people who have been redeemed from our sin through the cross of Christ. And we hope in the resurrection that we will celebrate uh, clearly on Easter Sunday in a couple of weeks. And Father, we are so incredibly thankful for an opportunity just to do church together. We're thankful for an opportunity to learn alongside each other, to serve and be served, to love and be loved, to know and be known. And Father, may we continue to lean into being healthier and healthier and healthier. And Father, may we be a church that, that looks not just to how we care for one another, but how do we care for those outside of the four walls of our church. And Father, we pray for our neighborhoods and our, and our side of the city and our city as a whole, that Your kingdom would come. We pray for those who are hurting, those who are without, whether that's relationally without or, or economically without or, or without housing or without faith. Father, we pray that your kingdom would come. 
in Atlanta as it is in heaven. And Father, we pray for the kids that are in the trailers behind me. May you be continuing the work that you are doing in the Redeemer Kids Ministry. We pray for Anna as she teaches them this morning. We pray for the volunteers as they love on and nurture those children. Father, may those kids grow up never able to remember a day where they didn't know how much you loved them. And may we as a church live into our calling to love them well as well. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 So this first part of the service, I'll be honest, I thought my six-year-old son was headed to Redeemer Kids Ministry, but he decided he wanted to be here for it. So uh, Luke, just you know, take this with a maturity, as I know you will, but when I was a child, uh, we had some spare time, and in the summertime, uh, up in kind of north uh, section of Atlanta, we would find a magnifying glass at times. And so I have a little one here, right here. So magnifying glass, we'd have these lying around, who knows why. And then the older brother in my household, my older brother, uh, as well as his friends, taught us very early on that when it's very hot outside and that sun is beaming down, you can get out a magnifying glass. Well, Isaiah, put, you know, put, cover your ears here, buddy. Uh, and then you can set that over an ant pile and you can fry those ants. This is not... An example or a, uh, an illustration of, of creation care, as we're called to in the Bible. This is the opposite of that. But what well, was fascinating as a kid, you're out there, you know, ants are kind of going everywhere. And all of a sudden, if you hold that magnifying glass still enough, then the light coming from the sun comes in and, and focuses on a beam. And you can just watch those ants just fry one after another. And so when we think about that, as a kid, you're like, I don't care how this works. I'm just excited to be a part of this moment right here. But when I thought about this and thought about this passage, this, the reality is that with a magnifying glass, and I got a lamp up here as part of the illustration, but with a magnifying glass, what it's doing, it's not producing light. Uh, there's nothing about that magnifying glass that is, you know, a source of light. Uh, just like with this lamp, um, and just when I turn this on, this light, um, hold on one second, it was already on. So that light, when you have a light bulb, that light is going dispersing all over the place. So even why we have lamp shades like this little guy is to kind of focus in that light a little bit. So when you set the magnifying glass up, you know, with the sun, this is not hot enough to where it's not going to burn any ants. But when you set that, that magnifying glass up, it's not producing the light. But what's happening is all, those, all the, the light is being focused in on one little laser. And so the same thing when you think about like laser beams that can cut stuff, uh, that laser beam is powerful first and foremost because it's taking all of those, all, all, the, all the, the rays and being able to focus them very, very, very exactly on something. And so with that said, the power is in the focus. And looking at this passage, there is a Greek word or a Greek phrase in here that is saying exactly that, that idea of focusing deeply. What we're going to look at primarily in this passage today is Philippians 3, 12 through 14, because I think God has a word for us specifically at Redeemer Community Church. And I'm going to read that part again. Not that I have already obtained all this, Paul speaking, but have, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on. I press on 
to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. The Greek word that is, is, is similar to that idea of focus is D-I-O-K-O, dioko, which is translated to that words press on in verse 12 and 14. And the Greek word uh, actually means pursuing or to pound down a point, to focus so much on one thing that it is, it is taking all of our energy, pressing on to take hold of that for which Christ has taken hold of me. The Apostle Paul, if you've read any of his letters, if you know one thing about him is that he does not lack a seriousness to approaching life, a seriousness to approaching his walk with Jesus. And what he's doing in this passage is he is helping, he's he's making a plea for people to see, to laser in on what it means to take hold, which Christ took hold of me. Paul is looking at how Christ has loved him and that is impacting what he is pressing on to take hold of the it. And we're going to get to that in a minute. But before we get there, I want us to understand what does this mean? Even as another translation, the ESV says that Christ has made me his own. Not that, we, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Because why? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. What a truth. What a, what, a, what, a, what a truth for us to cling on to. And that idea of Christ Jesus has, has taken hold of me, has made me his own. What does he mean by that? What's the, the laser focus that Christ has on us? And we look and we go back to the source. We go back to Jesus' words. Last week we talked about the story of the prodigal son and the story of two sons, but the two stories right before that give us such an illustration, such a picture of what Paul is talking about here. The first is in uh, Luke 15. It talks about the parable of the lost sheep. And Jesus says that now the tax collectors and sinners, or the writer of, of, of Luke it talks about now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to Jesus. The Pharisees and the scribes, the religious people, were grumbling, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So Jesus tells them a parable. A parable about Paul and a parable about us. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country, going after that one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. And so I tell you, there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than the ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Jesus has made me his own. He, we are that lost sheep, that one of the 99 that he leaves the rest and pursues until we are found. The next parable right after that in Luke 15. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. This is our Jesus talking about us. When she found it, 
she calls together her friends and her neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The seriousness of Paul's words to us, and it's a, it's a plea, the idea of whatever were gains to me, I now consider lost for Christ. I want to know Christ. Yes to, yet to, yes, to know the power of His resurrection, which we said, amen to that. And then he says, participation in His sufferings. And we, we said, like a whisper of an amen to that. Becoming like Him in His death. When we think about Paul's, he, he's calling us to this enormous call but he doesn't do it just saying, go, go try hard because I want you to try hard. He first and foremost lays out, we can be this laser focused because that's the laser focus of God's love for us. And think about Paul's own conversion story, the Saul to Paul. Think about Paul's own conversion story. Earlier in this chapter, in chapter 3, he says he was the greatest of the Jews. This is before he became a Christian. He was a religious, a super religious person. He says in chapter 3, if anyone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee as for zeal, persecuting the church as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Paul is looking at this, looking at the, 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 the audience here and looking at us saying he was the Hebrew of Hebrews. Before he was a follower of Jesus, Paul convinced the religious leaders to allow him to go to this place called Damascus. So he is killing it being the most religious of religious. He, they can, he convinces the religious leaders saying, let me go to Damascus and bring back any men who are called to the way. So he was actually an opponent of the Christians of the day. Paul wanted to go and punish the disciples of Jesus this is before he became a Christian and convince them to give up their newly found beliefs. But while Paul was traveling, we know this from the, from the book of Acts, while Paul was traveling, the sky around him suddenly flashed white. And he heard a voice crying out, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul, who became Paul later, soon discovered that that voice belonged, in fact, to the Jesus that he did not believe in. And he said, Jesus says to him, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. And that revelation must have been a shock to Saul's system. Jesus was the claimed Messiah, the one that everyone said they'd been looking for, of those who followed, quote-unquote, the way, the one whom the Romans had executed, the one who was dead, who Paul, Saul did not believe in. And then when Saul rose from the ground after getting knocked over in this experience, he could not even see. Completely blind. He had to be led to the city by the men he traveled with, the men who lived in the city. A man who lived in the city, Ananias, was told by the Lord to go and see Saul. And Ananias displayed an enormous amount of faith by saying yes to that, went to Saul, who'd been persecuting Christians, and told him he'd been sent by the Lord he laid hands on Saul and told him, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, Saul, who was blind, could see again. 
regained his sight, was baptized, and instantly began to preach about Jesus in the synagogues of Damascus. Brothers and sisters, Paul is writing about this, these strong words to us. I press on toward the goal to win the prize because Paul was that lost sheep Jesus talked about. Paul was the lost coin Jesus talked about. And Jesus so intensely loved Paul that Paul is utterly changed because of it. That's the magnifying glass of God's love for Paul. And he has to take that focus and that intensity. And he's saying, I want that same focus and intensity to now apply it to pressing on to make it his own. So what is the it in the beginning of this passage that we read? What is the it that he's talking about? Because he's saying, I want to make it my own. What is he referring back to? Well, chapter, I mean, chapter 3, verse 7 says, but whatever regains... To me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Whatever, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. It goes on in verse 10 to say, I want to know Christ. This is the Apostle Paul, the one who has written the bulk of the New Testament outside of the Gospels, looking at the church in Philippi, and he's a leader. He is, the, you know, he's someone they look up to him, and he, he's looking at them saying, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection, in participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Paul wants to know Christ. And this is the focus of his life. In the Bible, we're called to do all sorts of things. But Paul, in this passage, as the one is, is teaching to the church in Philippi, the one who's teaching to us today, says that nothing is preeminent over his desire to simply know Christ. This is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to have a healthy Christian life. That magnifying glass that can roast ants and burn a, burn a hole in a piece of paper. That laser light that differentiates itself, differentiates itself from regular light because of the focus. What we see here from Paul is saying, this is your focus. This is the first priority in our lives then we are called to take hold of that is the intensity of the love God has for us. Paul wants that same intensity to know and love the God as he is known and loved by God. So what does it mean to know Christ? This sounds like such religious jargon. Even when I say it, and even when I'm breaking it down, and there's books been written on the idea of, of knowing God. One of my favorite authors, an old dead Anglican guy named J.I. Packer, wrote a book that changed my life when I read it when I was 19. And when we, when we look at this jargon, and it's like, if you're new to the church, it's like, yes, knowing Christ, cool. How does that work? What does that even mean? So as always, when we're trying to unpack things of Scripture, we look to the Scriptures. And so we see from John 17, 3, this idea that this is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God, in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. 1 John 5, 20, We know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding. Why? So that we may know Him. Not just about Him, but actually know Him who is true. And get some Old Testament in here as well. This is Jeremiah 9. And this verse blew me away when I read it again this week. 
This is what the Lord says. The Lord God says. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom or the strong man boast of his strength or the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts boast about this that he understands and knows me. Brothers and sisters, when we think about this idea of knowing Christ, I want us to understand that there is a huge difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Christ. And obviously there's a difference, and if you are a non-Christian, if you have never entered into a relationship with Christ, you might know about Him, you might know some stories about Jesus, but when you put faith in Christ, you are entering into a relationship with Him for the first time. But even those of you who have been Christians for a long, long time, you can look back on kind of the honeymoon period of when you became a Christian and say, okay, gosh, I, I felt so intimately close to Christ. I felt like we were walking together step by step through, through every single day of the week. I had to open up my Bible and it was like he was sitting here right next to me. But over the course of your life, if you're anything like me, is that you have ups and downs with the feelings of intimacy with Christ. And so often we can have that kind of honeymoon phase of walking with Jesus and then the busyness of life begins to get in the way. And it's not that the business of life is a bad thing. There is tons of things that all of you are spending your time, spending your energy doing, which are good things. But so often we can kind of have the priority of knowing Christ be notched down to two, to three, to four, to ten, to twelve. And I don't say this to shame or guilt you. I say this because you have lost, we have lost, when that happens, we've lost the power of what it is to walk in intimacy with our Savior. And so you may know a lot about him. You may come to church. You may be able to recite the creeds. The, the songs may, you know, slides may be everywhere. And you will know the songs. Like, you're killing it. Like, we understand that you all and myself. Like, we may know a lot about Jesus. But there's a difference between knowing about him and spending time getting to know him. As someone who grew up in Atlanta uh, during the 90s, we, as a sports fan, I honestly, you could tell, you ask me a question of who plays second base for the Atlanta Braves. Give me any year, and I can tell you exactly who they are. I can give you the lineup from you know the leadoff batter to the pitcher, uh, you know from first through ninth in the batting order. I can probably tell you if you gave me a silhouette of one of the guys and just their swing without even seeing their face, I could tell you who they are. Like it's a sick problem I have. Same thing, with, same thing with my guy Tiger Woods. Like, not only could I tell you if you just had him swing a golf club, I could tell you, like, which year that swing was from based on his knee injuries. Like, there is a, it's not a healthy level of fandom that I have had with some sports things uh, over the years. But the reality is that we all have something in this category. It could be a you know, musician that you love, you know everything about, or a movie you've watched a hundred times and you love that actor or actress. But the reality is that if, you know, I walked in Atlanta Fulton County Stadium back then, and then it was uh, Turner Field, now it's Truist Park. If I walk in there and I walk to the front gate and I could say, I know about, you know, I know Andrew Jones' kids' names, that doesn't get me in the door. 
There's a parking lot, even at the, when we used to live by the old Braves Stadium, there's a parking lot where the players would park, and you can kind of see them pulling in. You can always tell which ones are the players. they got, like, the fanciest cars kind of pulling in. And I, I would remember pulling it, watching them pull in as we would walk to the games from our old house and, you know, seeing a Braves player pop out, and I'd be like, oh, that's Jared Sotolamacchia. We got him from the Red Sox. He plays catcher. I wave. He doesn't wave back. Like, we are not, <laughs> we're not friends. Like, he does, he, I may know a lot about him, I don't know him, and he certainly does not know me. And so when we look at these these passages of Scripture where Paul is sitting there going, I long, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of His resurrection. He is wanting to have a relationship with Christ. And he's wanting that relationship to strengthen and strengthen and strengthen. And you know how this works as well. Some of you have been, have been in friendships for 10, 12, 15 years. And that friendship doesn't just happen because you were once friends. It happens you know, for the next decades and decades to come. It happens and it grows in intimacy because you spend time together. You're vulnerable with each other. You set aside or intentional saying, well, I want to I have lunch once a week or once a month. I want to be in this discipleship group to grow in a relationship. There's an intentionality to it. And this is the desire we have for us all in our relationship with God. And I want to acknowledge here the dichotomy, the struggle so often with churches and Christians today is that we think about following, being a follower of Jesus and we kind of have the pendulum swinging one way or another where there's some churches or kind of church backgrounds of people that are saying this is what it means to be a follower of Christ. It means quiet times with the Lord. It means reading our Bible. It means an individual kind of sanctification of growing in likeness to Jesus. That is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And then the people on this side of the room, uh, they're sitting there going being a follower of Jesus means pursuing justice. It means pursuing uh, caring for the widows and the poor and the orphans. It means doing, 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 doing. And what we see from Scripture is that it's not an either or. So when I hear, when I talk about this, I do not, some of your, your kind of flags are going up where you're like, oh, like, well, what about the poor? What about uh, the ones that need advocates, advocated for? What about those who are lonely or hurting? What does it mean to pursue them? It sounds like being a Christian is just sitting alone praying with God. And it's not just that, but it's not without that. I think about this with our own Christy Cooper, the woman who oversees outreach uh, at Redeemer, oversees, is our outreach director. She's in the midst of doing, like, I don't know, it's probably the eighth or ninth Jobs for Life class that we've done here at Redeemer, which on Tuesday nights, a small group of women will get together who are looking for either the, a job, if don't have a job, looking for a job, or looking for a better job or career, and there's other women that they kind of walk alongside them as just in friendship and coaching, a curriculum they go to where they work on resumes and interview training and all the things necessary to be really successful at pursuing a job. And I asked Christy, this week, how it was going. And she said, Drew, my favorite part is that we just get to talk about spiritual things together. And this is a woman that cannot you know, care more about the betterment of our neighborhoods and our cities. But for her, the light bulb continues to go off of saying, if we're just giving people jobs, we're not doing the work of Jesus. We're just, giving, we're just having them better employed, making more money, but they're still lacking in intimacy with Christ. We have failed them. And in the same way, if we've just given them, here's what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and you know Christ, and you pray, pray to Him, and you read your Bible, but we don't pursue kindness and justice and care for those around us, and we're missing out as well. 
But to be able to do the latter part well, our focus being to know Christ more, in order to live out the rest of it, we have to first and foremost understand the priority is always knowing Christ. We read the book of James and the call to care for widows and orphans. If we want to do that well, if we want to be more generous, if we want to be more kind, we first and foremost pursue Jesus. So how does this work? Two simple truths to close us out here. First and foremost, people who are close to Jesus simply act more and more like Jesus. Proverbs 13.20 says, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. The disciples, those twelve disciples, more than they watched Him do miracles, more than they watched Him uh, heal people, they simply were with Jesus. They ate meals together. They walked and walked and walked. They, you know, like were, were figuring out, you know, what to eat the next day together. They were, you know, managing money probably together. They were living life together. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. Brothers and sisters, if we want to love well, we need to look to the one that loves perfectly. If we want to care for the lost, we want to look to the one who cares the most for the lost. If we want to care deeply for justice, like Anthony talked about this morning, it's in the devotional this week, let's walk with the one who cares the most about justice. And secondly, people who know that they are loved are able to freely love and care for other people. The deeper that you know Jesus, the deeper you will know how much He loves and cares for you. And you can walk into the world in confidence that your love bucket, your desire to be loved is filled up with Jesus and gives you freedom to love others in a way that's not manipulative or coercive and not in a way to serve you, first and foremost, but to serve them. People who lack intimacy with Jesus It so often can become a bait and switch of I will love you as long as it does something for me. I will sacrifice for you as long as you sacrifice as much or more for me. When we understand how much He has sacrificed for us, we can freely sacrifice away. So if you want to be the healthiest spouse you can be, get closer to Jesus. If you want to be a one, someone who loves their neighbor better, get closer to Jesus. To grow in love for the poor or the destitute, get closer to Jesus. If you want to care more about justice, get closer to Jesus. Be a better mom or dad or friend or fill in the blank relationally. Brothers and sisters, let's get closer to Jesus together. Let's pray.